The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Women in Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jer McCarthy, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at jermccarthy 74 This week's guests include... Mike Curran is back for another weekly AFLW review, a momentous week for Brisbane and Tipperary Zora O'Dwyer, and a preview of the 2022 Grand Final between Adelaide and Melbourne. This week's Formula One segment includes Women in Sport podcast expert Sarah McKenzie previewing the Australian Grand Prix. Rugby chairperson for Munster Women's Rugby Wendy Keenan joins me to review another huge week, including four Munster players being selected on the Irish under-18s. Munster hockey Piero Graham Catchball is on the show to talk about another busy week of interprovincial and club women's hockey. I interviewed Cork senior Camogie manager Matthew Toomey ahead of this weekend's eagerly anticipated rematch with Galway in the Littlewoods National League Division 1 final. And we get all the reaction from St Mary's Middleton and Sacred Heart Clonakilty on the two Cork schools' Lidl LGFA All-Ireland PPS successes as well as hearing from the Cork under-14 manager JJDC on his side's Munster final success. That's all to come on this week's Women in Sport podcast. It is 2022 AFLW Grand Final Weekend and the culmination of a superb AFLW season. Resident expert, coach and Big Red Bench analyst Mike Curran is back to review last weekend's preliminary finals, an historic award for Brisbane Lions Orlo Dwyer and a preview of the Grand Final. Now it is crunch time in AFLW in Australia because the 2022 Grand Final is upon us. But before we look ahead to that and what should be an amazing occasion, we have our weekly segment here with our resident AFLW expert, Mike Curran is back with us again. Mike, how are you? Hi, Joe. Very good. Um, it is uh, that time of the year, I would imagine you're very excited. You're looking forward to something, uh, a fantastic spectacle. That is the grand final. Uh, but to get there, we had two preliminary finals last week. And one of those was at the MCG, where Melbourne edged the reigning premiers, Brisbane. That's for sure, Jerry. And what an occasion that was. First and foremost, I suppose that was the first AFLW game ever to be played at the MCG. And we touched on it last week. The MCG is the home of AFL. Prior to Saturday, 2,952 matches of men's AFL and VFL had been played at the G and it was finally the women's turn and it was Melbourne who qualified for their first ever grand final, as you've just said there. Um, When the sides met earlier this season, the Demons won by three points. It was almost as close this time around, but they got over the line by four points. In what was drizzly conditions at the start of the game, Melbourne matched Brisbane's characteristic high intensity and I think that came as a, a bit of a shock to Brisbane because many teams haven't been able to do that so far this season uh, it was a ferocious contest there was only one point in total scored in the first quarter that was a point from the lines the tackling was intense the combined tackle count for the game and listen to this one was 172 tackles wow. making it the second highest tackling total ever in an AFL match and if you break that down that's about three tackles a minute. So that, that'll give you an idea of the intensity that this game was played at. So it was level at halftime, eight points apiece. And the real difference between the teams turned out to be 19-year-old forward Alyssa Bannon. And a, a fairy tale story, as you often find in finals games. Before Saturday, she'd never even been to a match at the MCG. And she turned out to be the preliminary final hero with three goals and that was the main difference. The Lions came back in the last quarter, peppering the Demons inside 50s for a full 10 minutes. But Melbourne held out and managed to book that spot in their first grand final. Yes, it sounds like an incredibly intensive game. And from the highlights I saw, it certainly looked like, looked like that. But uh, from an Irish point of view, Mike, delight for Sinead Goldrick, but devastation for Brisbane's Orlo Dwyer. 
Yeah, we saw the two sides of it, and I suppose, and, and that's sport and the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. But it was elation for Sinead Goldrick, who was excellent. As part of her role on Saturday, she played a hard tag on Brisbane's Irish star, Ola O'Dwyer, as it turned out, in the second half. And Melbourne had already tagged Ola in the first half through their star midfielder, Karen Paxman. Um, and that obviously limited um, O'Dwyer's influence on the game, which in turn was critical to the overall result. But yeah, Sinead Goldrick was brilliant. Her usual ferocious self, six tackles on the ground. She was chasing down the ball um, anytime it came near her. And she's heading into her first grand final next weekend. On the flip side, Orla, of course, was devastated after. Um, we saw those amazing images of her in tears at the end of the game. Her family were out there, her mother Mary, sister I, and dad Brian. And they were actually sending us pictures back from the ground. They were all disappointed, but in, immensely proud. And what a great occasion for the O'Dwyer family that they were all there. And they and us are in no doubt that Orla and the Lions will be back. Indeed, they will. So it's congratulations to Sinead Goldrick and Melbourne who move on to the grand final. Devastation, as you said, and you outlined there and you heard from the O'Dwyer family for Orla. But like you also said in sport, Mike, things change very quickly. And the end of the week proved a historic moment for Orla and for the Brisbane Lions. Yeah, what's that to say? A couple of days is definitely a long time in sport. But anyway, um, Orla's devastation has quickly turned uh, to joy. I suppose amazing news coming through um, on Tuesday there uh, from the W Awards, which is the, the annual award ceremony for AFLW. And uh, Orla has become the first ever Irish player to be named on an AFLW All-Australian team. And what an achievement that is uh, after both herself and Cora Staunton had been named on the extended squad of 40 Orla made the final team at the awards night and not since Jim Steins back in 1993 as an Irish player in any court won such an accolade. So hugely well-deserved and exciting to see now how Orla drives on from here across the next couple of seasons. But already she is one of the stars of the game without question. Yeah, and I was just going to say, Mike, you, you're an expert. You've, you've covered this. You've, you've trained a lot of the Irish players that are over there that are currently playing there. In terms of her profile for Ordo Dwar, she's very well known in this country you now and even more so after that fantastic award. But from her own point of view in Australia, um, her stock has certainly risen. What would it mean off the field for her in terms of, you know, is, are we talking endorsements or are we talking just a raised profile um, and a possible, I don't know, is there a potential transfer to a, a different franchise? What do you see in the future for her because of this? Oh, I think it'd be a combination of all of those. Um, Jerry, look at her, her. Her profile has been building slowly across the last few seasons in Australia. Now it's through the roof. Like as we said, there she's undoubtedly not only one of the stars of Brisbane Lions, she's one of the stars of the game. And if you're Orla now, I think there's like huge mark or huge commercial opportunities there for her in terms of endorsements. She's already picked up some sponsorships across this season, and. Uh, whatever about going anywhere else, I'd love to be Orla heading into the Brisbane Lions meetings next week <laughs> and negotiating her contracts for next season. So she definitely deserves to be among the top player, uh, paid players at the club anyway. And I'm sure they will look after her and they won't want to, to see her going anywhere. That's for sure. But yeah, across the board, obviously uh, here and in Australia now, she is a hugely uh, recognised sports star and, and deservedly so. Indeed, deservedly so. And we wish her all the best on that. And uh, it'd be fascinating over the next couple of weeks to see what uh, what transpires for order at the Brisbane Lions. Let's move on to the second preliminary final. And the 2019 Premier's Mike, Adelaide Crows, proved just to prove too good for the Dockers. Yeah, the Crows are true to another grand final, as we thought they might, but it was definitely after a hard-fought win over Fremantle Dockers. Uh, the game was relatively tight across the first 
and second quarters on the scoreboard with the Crows leading 13-6 at quarter time and 25-18 at half time. So not a whole lot in it, despite the Crows dominating some territory. But the Dockers' defence was were, were immense, really, and they were they were brilliant in limiting the opportunities for the Crows to make a count on the on the scoreboard. But they did put a little daylight on the scoreboard in the third quarter, where Fremantle failed to uh, to score, and from then on the Crows controlled out the game to finish with a, a win, forty points to twenty six. So we saw, I suppose, Adelaide's game style is built off the back of intercepting the ball, and they're really good at that, and they they killed that statistic for the day, and and one of their star star players. Chelsea Randall was reading the game beautifully and she actually had 12 intercepts on her own. Um, so that was a, a, a fantastic achievement. And on the Irish side, it was the battle of, I suppose, we've talked about it across the weeks, two of the most versatile Irish players in the competition with Eilish Constein versus Anya Tai. So it's season over for Anya Tai and the Dockers who overcame a number of obstacles along the way in terms of hubs and COVID and playing multiple games and all that. So... While they'll all be disappointed, they can definitely look forward to build on that for next season. And from Anya's point of view, I suppose she's had a breakout debut season and is already firmly established as a star in the Dockers team. Ailish Constant has been finding consistent starts and game time more recently on the wing position after also featuring in defence and, of course, in the forwards there across the earlier games of the season. So fingers crossed she gets through this week OK and will line out in next weekend's grand final. Yes, and it's that next weekend's grand final that we're going to finish on because for the second consecutive season, Adelaide Oval will host the the home the home franchise, which is the Adelaide Crows, where they take on Melbourne. The game starts at two thirty a.m. Irish time. Mike, I mean, in terms of setting the scene on this, from what I'm hearing from you, from what I've seen, and from the high, and again, it's highlights and what I've read throughout the season, Adelaide really are a team on a mission. They 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 are consistent, and they are scoring high end. As you said, they're able to break for very quickly from the back intercepts they have they seem to have everything in the locker that you need to become premiers now it's 2019 it's two years since they were premiers and then you've got melbourne on the other side of it obviously coming in i would imagine potentially as the underdogs how do you see this grand final work uh panning out and what what are the things you're most looking forward to ahead of it yeah well, look at well what an occasion it's going to be first of all next saturday at adelaide oval as you said the crows are in their fourth grand final an incredible achievement the most of any team in the competition they, of course, will be looking to avenge last season's loss to Brisbane Lions and they'll be hoping to emulate that 2019 win, which saw 53,000 people pack out Adelaide Oval. So that's got to be an impact on the game if they can get anywhere near that crowd again, where they defeated Carlton on that occasion. And of course, Ailes Constant became the first Irish player to win an AFLW Premiership and scoring a goal in the grand final along the way on that occasion. Will Eilish win another one this weekend or will it be Sinead Goldrick and potentially Lauren McGee to win their first and Melbourne's first premierships? How do the teams face up? They've met each other six times across the competition across the last number of years. They have three wins apiece. Not much in that, obviously. This season, they met in round four. Melbourne travelled up to Norwood Oval in in Adelaide and Adelaide held out for a 14-point win. But on that occasion... Norwood Oval has infamously narrow wings and the Crows were able to suffocate the Demons' free-flowing, expansive kicking game. The space on Adelaide Oval next Saturday is going to be a, a different story. And of course, on that occasion as well, we had the midfield stars of Anne Hatcher and Ebony Marinhoff, who incidentally is only one of three players now to have been named on all six All-Australian expanded squads about across six seasons. So what, what a, a star she is. They dominated that day with a combined 55 disposals in the centre while Melbourne's own star, 
Karen Paxman, we mentioned her earlier with that tag on Ola Dwyer. She had just 13 that day, and that was her second lowest career count. Will that happen again next Saturday? That's very unlikely. So will we see the Crows looking to that intercept game that we referenced earlier and drive on for their, their third and Irish Constant second premiership? Or is it one of those seasons where the stars literally and figuratively might be aligning for Melbourne? You've the likes of Taylor Harris up front having a, a sensational season. And she's become the only player ever to win all Australians at three different clubs. Another phenomenal stat as of Tuesday. You've the likes of Daisy Pierce. You've their head coach, Mick Stinier, who's coaching his 50th game in the grand final. And of course, you've Melbourne fresh off that AFL victory where their men's side won the premiership. Um, so you've all these intriguing sub stories. But one thing is for sure. We know what we'll be, do- we'll be doing in the early hours of Saturday morning. We'll be glued to the 2022 AFLW grand final. Well, I don't think there's any better way to set it uh, and set up what is going to be an absolute humdinger. Hopefully the crowd and the attendance exceeds um, the previous figures. It would be fantastic for the game. It's been a phenomenal season. I think the two strongest teams are in the final. I have no idea how it's going to go. So I'm going to bow to your superior knowledge as ever, Mike. But we look forward to the game itself. We look forward and hopefully a good day for the Irish and that they, the, the, that they are to the fore in that final. And next week we get to review the whole thing uh, on our weekly slot here on the Big Red Bench. But once again, Mike Cran, as ever, for your analysis and for your expertise. Thank you very, very much. Thanks, Jerry. I'm looking forward to talking about that one for sure. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. There may not have been any Formula One Grand Prix this past weekend, but our resident F1 expert, Sarah McKenzie, joins me for another intriguing chat, including season four of Netflix's polarizing Drive to Survive series, a fantastic Go Girls program, Formula Female Initiative, and a preview of this weekend's Australian Grand Prix in Melbourne. It is that time of the week again where we're joined by our resident Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie, to talk about all things F1. Even though there isn't a Grand Prix this weekend, that doesn't mean there aren't uh, topics to discuss. And we're delighted to have you back again, Sarah. How are you? Yeah, exactly. Even though it's not a race weekend, there's always something going on in the world of motorsports. So excited to get into a few different topics this week. Indeed. And one that you've been pushing for since you started and I've kept putting, pushing <laughs> off is Drive to Survive. Season four of the Netflix series uh, has begun uh, and is on is available for anyone uh, with access to Netflix. Um, and for those people who don't know what Drive to Survive is, it's basically a fly in the wall documentary behind the scenes look at Formula One. It's now in its fourth season. I watched the first two seasons myself and really, really enjoy them. Haven't seen the third season. What about this fourth season and what you've seen of it so far, Sarah? Because there's been um, polarizing opinions, I think it's fair to say, online about it. Yeah, I to be completely honest, I watched up as far as the second last episode and I couldn't actually watch the coverage of what they were going to say about Max and Lewis. <laughs> um, it's look like you said, it's it's more controversial than ever this year. This sort of this strange class divide has emerged amongst F1 fans. It's kind of whoever was there before Drive to Survive versus whoever came after. And, you know, I think any reasonable person can see there's pros and cons to it. There's also a, a lot of the team's both the drivers and the team principals are now anti-drive um, to survive as well. Toto Wolf actually described the level of access they ha- they have as scary in terms of what they can um, what they can see behind the scenes. So, you know, Max Verstappen opted not to participate in season four because he doesn't agree with the way things are portrayed. But obviously, Red Bull were one of the most important teams in last season. So essentially, Christian Horner has kind of become the de facto Red Bull representative and. It's it feels very awkward given how the season ended and it there's a lot of sort of 
the Christian Horner show feeling about it, which is it's just a bit uncomfortable for F1 fans, I think. And even though Max decided not to be involved directly, Netflix seemed to have gone through old audio clips of previous years that they had with him and actually stitched in the audio, which again, just quite awkward and kind of plays into the yeah. whole not a true representation of um of what's going on. So it's it's a strange one and I'm not sure they haven't announced yet whether there's going to be a fifth season, but I, I honestly don't know what that would look like at this point. Yeah, you see, it's worth noting for, for anyone listening that hasn't watched it, like the first two seasons, the, the real selling point of it, uh, Sarah, I don't know if you agree with me or not, was the authenticity of it. It was, mm. it was the teams at the at the opposite end of, of the grid because most of the teams at the top, including Christian Harder and Toto Wolf, decided not to get involved and didn't want anything to do with it until yep. the Drive to Survive series became a worldwide smash hit. And then mm-hmm. the Formula One, the people behind, let's keep racing, even though there's a missile exploding 12 miles away, realized there was money to be made and probably told the top teams, you're getting involved, whether you like it or not. And I haven't watched season four, so I can't criticize it just yet. But what you've said is in, is in line with a lot of people, what they're saying about it is that it's lost a bit of that, it's a bit of its soul, a bit of the authenticity that you got to know some of the lesser known drivers, lesser known teams, and they mm-hmm. were happy for the cameras to be around them. They, they didn't, there was no acting or putting it on. Whereas those at the top are protecting multi, multi-million pound deals and engines and God knows what in terms of designs. So I can understand that. But if it's mm-hmm. not going to be true to life, then what's the point in doing it? Exactly. And I think the cool thing for me as well, as someone who, you know, anytime there's a race weekend, I spend my whole weekend engr- engrossed in Formula One and I would have thought that I knew quite a bit about what was going on behind the scenes during a season, but actually the first one and two seasons of Drive to Survive, there was stuff that I was finding out that I had no idea had even happened. And that was the really cool part for me because that was the extra insight that I couldn't possibly get, that nobody could possibly get. But you're right, it's turned into, unfortunately, as many things related to F1 become a money game. And look, it's done wonders for the sport in the US. There's now going to be a third US Grand Prix in, in Vegas in 2023. So it's obviously working for the people that want that out of it. I just don't know if if folks like myself are going to are gonna continue watching the series from this point on. Well, if you're not going to watch it, I'm not going to watch it. I'm going to take more <laughs> endorsement more than anyone else's, Sarah, but I'll, I'll, I'll get around to it eventually, like the other 20 series I haven't watched. <laughs> but thanks for that, because that's a good... We'll come back to it, I think. I think Drive to Survive isn't, hasn't gone away, and I think before the end of the season, before the end of this season, we may actually allude to it. And when I finally start watching it, I'll, I'll look for your opinion on the podcast again. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about something positive, and that's the Go Girls program, formerly female, an initiative run by Nikki Daly. What is this, Sarah? And uh, it sounds really exciting. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited to talk about this. So anyone that's checked out my YouTube channel will know that I've got the Women in Motorsport interview series. And actually, a lot of the guests that I've on have been Irish, which is fantastic. But I did want to shout out the Go Girls program. As you mentioned, it's run by Formula Female, which is an organization that is in turn run by Nikki Daly, who is amazing. But among um, many of her other achievements, she's a former member of the Ireland Olympic women's hockey team. And essentially the goal of the programme is to create a pathway to participation in motorsport for girls all over Ireland. And to date, there's actually been 720 secondary school girls have gone through the programme, which is just huge. And out of that number, 180 have qualified for the provincial competitions. So the top drivers then from those competitions will go on to compete for the Go Girls Academy. So there's a karting element where the goal is to compete in 
the Tillotson T4 championship. And then the second part is a STEM element. So it incorporates maths, engineering, all the other things that are obviously vital to, to keeping the car on the, on the track. And the girls who are more motivated by that will also be invited to join the academy, but in mechanic engineering support kind of roles. So it's it's just a fantastic program. I had the opportunity to actually work um, at one of the days with uh, with a few of the girls in, in Watergrass Hill, and it was just a fantastic experience. Am I correct in saying, Sarah, I know that the percentage of female drivers at go-karting and at um, probably, you know, Formula or whatever the, the entry-level formulas are before you even get to Formula 3 and even think about Formula 1 are still quite low. But what is even lower, and for no particular reason, is that the engineers and the people that work in the pit crews and the people that work in designing uh, you know, the top-end cars, that it's, do- it's, male, it's a male-dominated industry. And this is a step in the right direction for young girls who might want to get into it and might want to forge a career. Absolutely. It's really just all about you know, seeing, seeing a role model where at that age when you're in secondary school and you're trying to figure out what you want to do, you know, either after school or in college or whatever the case may be, just seeing people that look like you in positions that you might be interested in is just, I can't even kind of, it's impossible to, to overstate how important that is. And programs like this are giving young girls who are at that age the opportunity to actually put themselves in a position that nobody kind of in their school or anything would be able to give them and it's it's just a fantastic opportunity I, I definitely wish I had had it um when I was in school but absolutely thrilled for for all those girls that have gone through the program so far brilliant stuff I think this is something we'll return to uh during the yeah. year as we go through it because I'd like to hear a bit more about it certainly it's a fantastic idea it's a great idea. I love the stem element of it as well and not just the driving but I'm 720 students take it up that's fantastic and hopefully, yeah. hopefully it will grow or will go from strength to strength. Now, we don't have a GP this weekend, but we do have one to preview, and that's the Australian Grand Prix that's coming up uh, the weekend after next. But there's a new track layout uh, mm-hmm. coming. What does this mean for teams and the drivers? And when you say a new track layout, what are we actually talking about? Yeah, so we haven't had an Australian Grand Prix since 2019. Obviously, very strict um, restrictions there over covid and there's quite a few changes have happened to the track. So turns one, three, six, eleven, and thirteen have all been widened, which hopefully will allow for more overtaking during the race. And the pit lane has also been widened, which could open some strategic chances potentially. And then the other kind of significant change to the layout means that the cars will actually be flat out now from turn six all the way through to turn eleven, where they're going to have a really big stop to make there. And that's going to pose a really interesting challenge, particularly when you think about multiple cars fighting for position in that part of the the circuit. And interestingly, obviously, Melbourne is a a street race. So Albert Park is a normal road when it's not, you know, being a race weekend. And the original tarmac had been left untouched since it was laid first in 1995. So, you know, given it's a public road, the surface had taken a bit of a hammering, but it's now been completely resurfaced, which I think would probably be a big relief for teams like Mercedes, who we talked before about poor poising. And they would have been very worried, I can imagine, if that resurfacing hadn't happened, because obviously a bumpy track and bumpy aerodynamics would have made the car essentially a nightmare to drive for them. Who does the new track layout suit? 
Look, I think realistically, Ferrari are going Ferrari. to be very. There you go. <laughs> I know, I know what game I'm playing. Um, <laughs> I think you know they're going to continue to be really strong. I think they are going to be very, very difficult to beat at all this season. But I do think you know as the teams get more and more races under their belt with these new regulations, we will start to see dark horses pop up. I think Alpine were you know I mean they spent a lot of the last Grand Prix actually scrapping each other but even when they were doing that it was great to see because it just showed how much passion they had and I think they could be interesting as well and we'll see what Sebastian Vettel can manage he's actually coming back for the first time this season because he's had Covid so curious to see what he can manage to do in the car as well. Excellent. Sounds like there's going to be lots to talk about at the uh, Aussie, Aussie Grand Prix. And as you said, with the, the new track layout, the new road and everything that's been relayed, it should make for some interesting viewing. If it's anything like the first two and all the passing and manoeuvres that we've had, it's something mm-hmm. to look forward to. There you go, Sarah McKenzie. No Grand Prix this weekend, and yet we had still so much to talk about. Um, it's been a pleasure as always, and we look forward to talking to you again next week on the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Absolutely, can't wait. The Big Red Bench. Game on. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Now, I am delighted to be joined uh, as ever each week here by uh, the Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson, Wendy Keenan, who's here to talk about a huge week uh, for Munster Provincial Rugby Club and Interprovincials and a whole lot more besides. Wendy, how are you? I'm great, Stuart. Thanks very much. And, and lots to report this week. Yes, and we start on the international scene where um, the under-18 selection for the Irish squad includes four Munster girls, and this is fantastic news for the province. Yeah, we're absolutely thrilled and we're really proud of the girls that have been selected to travel with the under-18 Irish squad. They're off to Edinburgh and they will uh, participate in a a festival that takes place in Murrayfield during Easter. So the girls selected are Kate Flannery from Feathered, Rebecca Rogers from Ballina Killaloo, Beth Bottomer from Feathered and Ellen Boylan from Carrigan Shore. So they'll face, if you like, three matches. So on the first day of competition, um, Ireland will play a 35-minute match against England and against France and in the next um, round of matches then they'll have a full match against Wales so congratulations to the four girls and we wish them the very best of luck uh, all coming from the north of the province so um, they must be doing something really good up there. Well they clearly are and like as you said it's fantastic for the four Munster girls involved but for the clubs as well for, for this part of the world when you're trying to spread the gospel rugby is growing all the time and here's a ringing endorsement of what's been done at ground level at clubs by those clubs when you have four players now about to be capped at international level. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just wonderful to see. And um, we, we did have eight in the in the original squad that has been through the three weekends and they've just learned so much. So that even that experience of being in that training camp and that environment at an Irish level in a high performance unit, that'll stand to them as well. You know, and they'll take those experiences back to their friends in the clubs. Um, so it's, it's a really good news story for for Ireland, but especially our four players. It is indeed. We wish them all the best and we'll be keeping a close eye on them as they play and represent their country at under 18 level for the very first time. Now, this past weekend, the junior and senior girls schools finals were historic in their own right. But let's give a hat tip to St. Anne's Community College, Killaloo, Art School, Burra, and Bandon Grammar because uh, four teams that put on an absolute masterclass at junior and senior level and uh, two fantastic games and a really, really good, again, another positive endorsement of women's rugby in the province, uh, Wendy. 
Yeah, a great day for Munster and a, a historic day. This is the first time ever that there's been a girls' schools cup matches, a cup competition played anywhere in Ireland. So a first for Munster, but a, a wonderful day. And I'll just start with the, the Junior Cup, as you mentioned, St. Anne's uh, Community College versus Orsgulvera um, of Limerick. And Orsgulvera, um, they emerged victorious on the day. But both teams did have a nervous start. And, and as expected, you know, they had both Boston supporters with them from the school. So there was great noise around um, Musgrave Park and all the rugby really in the first half was played between their two uh, 10 metre lines but the second half was very different so at the start of the second half Eva Grimes um, crossed the line first for Oskulvera but St Anne's replied immediately with the try of their own from their prop uh, Amy Lynch and Charlie Din Dillon converted that and uh, there were further tries for Orla Grimes before Eva Grimes secured the win with a final scoreline of 17-7 for Oskulvera you know, a first win for them and uh, a, a just a great occasion for the girls. And the senior final, drama, drama, and then a little bit more drama, but a fantastic game of rugby. Yeah, I mean, Bandon Grammar and, and again, St. Anne's Community College being in both finals. It really was an epic final between two very talented squads. And, you know, Bandon Grammar dominated the, the match at the beginning, which resulted in a wonderful try for Nia Potts in their 15. She sprinted in from 90 metres to cross the line. And then Megan converted to make it 7-0 at half time. And what followed from both teams really was a fight to the bitter end. And with minutes to go, Bandon were, were ahead 1917. However, in the dying moments, uh, Ella Jocelyn scored a crucial try, which put St. Anne's 22-19 uh, in the lead, uh, which they held on to and are now the first winners of the inaugural uh, Girls Senior Schools Cup. From your point of view, irrespective of who won, we, we say congratulations to the winners and commiserations to the runners-up. What a big step, though, for women's rugby, and that's not understating it, uh, Wendy, to play where the finals were played and the fact that it's schools and the fact that it's a first step. How happy are you with how it all went? Oh, I, I'm absolutely delighted. I suppose this has been two years, you know, on pause because of COVID. We wanted to start it two years ago and to see it now to come into fruition. And, you know, it's, it's little things, I think, when it comes um, to girls rugby and having them play in those stadiums where they see the professional, you know, teams playing. And they have now played in the venue that Ireland are going to play in next Sunday and um, when they face Italy. And just to see their faces when they run out from underneath the stands, the same as they watch on television, you know, it's a huge occasion. And of course, you know what I mean? The two sides were very disappointed not to have their wins. But it was such an, it's just an epic occasion for both of them. And I, I spoke to both girls that scored, you know, the first tries in both matches and was just highlighting to them that you will always be the girl who scored the first try in the junior, the junior cup uh, and the same for the girl in the senior cup. And that's very special for them. It is indeed. And even more importantly, because I've seen it with other sports, Wendy, the younger girls that were sitting in the stands watching all of this now will have a rugby ball in their hand and hoping to achieve something similar when they get to that age. So well done on all that. That's fantastic. Congratulations to the two winners, as we said, and commiserations to the runners up in both of those fantastic junior and senior schools finals. Now, uh, also uh, an under 16 cup final between Killarney and Shannon Blue uh, from last weekend. Yeah, and you know, we talk about all these firsts, but this was actually a world first. Girls and boys youth finals being played together as a festival of rugby. Um, so Killarney were actually league winners and they played Shannon Blue in Musgrave Park on Sunday. Another great final, um, you know, lots of tries being scored. And their captain, Fia, um, who plays 10 for Killarney, had a superb performance. And they just proved too strong, really, for the Shannon side. But I just want to mention that the skill set that we are seeing week in, week out from all these teams 
Ireland are testament to the fantastic work that's been done by their coaches and the clubs. And without their time and dedication, we wouldn't be witnessing the growth of the girls' rugby um, that we're seeing, you know, in conjunction with the development officers that are working so hard on the ground for Munster Rugby. But a very special day for Killarney um, under 16 team who now have the double and they are now the league and cup champions and something that they will, you know, always remember. Fantastic and fantastic to see Shannon a name, well, well-known name in rugby circles, but Killarney starting to make uh, waves out underage and potentially hopefully at senior level as well. And speaking of that, a divisional cup final between Skibbereen and Tipperary also delivered the goods, Wendy. Oh yeah, fantastic match um, was played. I suppose just to give a, you know, Divisional Cup is kind of an unusual name to a competition. So this competition was the brainchild of uh, Grainne O'Connell. Grainne coordinates all our adult competitions for the committee and works really hard. So Corcon hosted the final last Sunday and it was a final that uh, I suppose provided us with excitement right up to the final whistle. Skibreen had a very strong start with their, their fullback Vivian O'Donoghue scoring the first try and Vivian went on to, ha- to have, really have a play of the match performance. So at halftime, it was 2010 to Skibbereen, but Tipperary came out with the fight in the second half um, and, and scored a few tries. And Tipperary were held up on the try line at the whistle um, in the end, and, and Skibbereen uh, took the cup, winning 22-17. And just to highlight in relation to this particular competition, our Division 1 league w- winners are Tipperary, our Division 2 league winners are Skibbereen. To so see them playing each other would never happen. You know what I mean? So this is a new competition that I mean, just by chance it was both our league winners playing each other and it was a superb final. And as I, I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago that that Skibreen team were growing from strength to strength and no doubt we'll see them now in Division 1 next season. Yeah, fantastic for that club. And as I said, I'd be quite close to the Skibreen area. We've read articles and written articles about them in recent times, but also fantastic to see Tipperary and rugby rising there as well at divisional cup level, as you said, reaching a final. Fantastic for them. We've finished with two finals and here we go again with another weekend of finals, Wendy. I don't know where you get the time, but we've got a, a seriously, uh, uh, in, a really good Munster Senior Cup final to look forward to in Nina on Saturday. Yes, so UL Bowes and Tipperary will play out for the Munster Senior Cup, as you mentioned in Nina at 7pm next Saturday, and that's going to be a very exciting match. Um, you know, you'll have the experience of the UL Bowes girls, um, you know, having played in the AAL season, but all those players who uh, aspire to play, you know what I mean, in, in the AAL playing with Tipperary. So really exciting match there to be watched. And as well as that, Fethard, I'm going to pronounce it correctly, be laughing at me now on the podcast, but the under-14 finals are taking place there on Saturday. Yeah, so as we know, we mentioned earlier, Feathered is now a centre of excellence with their new um, grounds that they have developed there. So we have all our under 14 finals taking place um, this Saturday, starting at 11 o'clock in the morning. So in our development shield, we'll have Old Crescent playing Canturk. In the development bowl, we'll have Waterpark versus Scarif. Um, then we'll move on and we'll have um, in our play competition will be Clonakilty Green versus Ballina Killaloo. And then finally, in the under 14 cup final, it'll be Shannon versus amalgamation of Dunmanway and Bantry Bay. Well, that's fantastic. Sorry, that's fantastic to see that number of teams. And as you said, um, at a a facility that's going to get a lot of use uh, over the coming years and under 14 cup final, that age group, particularly Wendy, a lot of excitement surrounding that age group, a lot of potential as well. um, And it should be, should make for a fantastic day. 
Yeah, I mean, 25 teams we started off with, and that grew to 27 before we, uh, you know, put our fixtures out. Um, and they've been competing for all these competitions. Um, so wonderful to have four finals. And look, it's just a lovely day, you know what I mean? Because it's a festival of rugby and ourselves having the under 14 together, you know, seeing the girls um, meeting each other. Uh, and you know, we're hoping to add a school's under 14 competition for next season. Um, more work in the areas of our development regional squads. We'd like to see that extended to the underage groups. So these girls will really spend a lot of time together you know when they stay in the game for the next couple of years so and that's very important too it is indeed look another fantastic i don't it feels like a month's worth of news there but it was only just a week and here we go again next weekend monster women's rugby is on a serious high at provincial underage and senior level and we wish uh just finally i don't know you'll join me in saying this that the four monster girls selected and the irish under 18 traveling squad we wish them all particularly all the best in the coming weeks and the irish international team as well yeah, I, I mean, we re, we're really looking forward to hosting this match on Sunday. Lots of tickets sold, but lots of tickets available. So if you haven't got one, make sure you get to, to Musgrave Park um, on Sunday and we'll, we'll give those girls, um, you know, a good monster welcome. Indeed, we will. Well said. Good selling point to end this week's podcast section on Wendy. Thank you again, Wendy Keenan, chairperson of Monster Women's Rugby, for her weekly roundup. Um, thank you very much. We'll talk to you again on the Big Red Bench next week. Thanks very much, sir. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Munster Hockey PRO Graham Catchball joins me to talk about another busy week of interprovincial and club women's hockey. We look back at the Munster under-16s and 18s inter-pro results from last weekend, an EY2 playoff loss suffered by Cork Clubs, a look ahead to this weekend's Division 1 relegation playoff between Limerick and Black Rock, and a preview of the big one, the 2022 Division 1 league playoff between UCC and Church of Ireland. Now, it has been a busy time both at the interprovincial and club level in Munster Hockey, and who better than Munster Hockey Piero Graham Catchball to join us here on the Big Red Bench to talk about all of those uh, matches that have happened and some big matches coming up this weekend. Graham, how are you? I'm good, Jared. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, it's good to talk to you. Let's let's dive straight into it. And this past weekend in the interprovincial on the interprovincial scene, Munsters under sixteens and under eighteens were in action. How did they get on? Yeah, so so the under sixteens um, had a had a strong finish to their tournament. So they they beat Leinster South two um, one in their in their final match. So it was a third place playoff. So so they finished third in in the in the interpros, which is a very good result for them. Um, the under 18s made the final and did superbly to to make the final, and they they just came up against a strong Ulster team on the on the day. Unfortunately, they they, they lost two 0 But you know, plenty of both sides, I suppose, will, will be will be seeing Irish trials in the back of their performances. So, um, a really really strong showing from Ulster and and the Interpol teams this, this this year. Indeed, it is, and a huge amount of work has been going in to this uh, Graham because I know you know at first hand and just the coaches and the time it takes players not only are they playing for their clubs but representing um, their province as well at interprovincial series it gives these players a chance for international coaches to take a good look at them like you said Yeah I mean the, the, the players I suppose it's a, it's a season long commitment so not only are they playing with their schools but they're playing with their clubs and then then you know they're, they're playing interpro hockey as well with, with, with Munster so you know, juggling that can be tricky at times, but um, they, they, the players have done an absolute huge amount of work over the season to, to I suppose, get these results. Um, likewise, the coaches, the coaches and the, the management, I suppose, um, you know, they're traveling, traveling all over Munster, running sessions on a, on a, on a weekly basis, and um, you know, they have obviously interests as well with some of the, the coaches actually coaching clubs as well, and some coaches actually still playing at at, at a high level, so. You know, a huge amount of effort goes in from from all involved, um, and look, you know, second place and third place is is 
it's excellent um, and a good result for Munster at the Interpols. Indeed it is. Right, we move from the Interprovincials to the uh, EY and playoffs and EY2 playoff uh, defeats last weekend that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, so so unfortunately the, the Munster side's involved so so uh, we're we're unfortunate not to not to make the next round of the playoffs for for making it into the EY one league. Um, UCC travelled to to Queen's University and and unfortunately went down five nil. Um, probably a game that was a bit closer than maybe the scoreline would have reflected. Um, likewise, then Church of Ireland um, travelled to to Corinthians um, in 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 Dublin and 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 lost five nil as well. Again, probably a game that you know maybe got away from them in the in the in the closing stages as maybe they chased to try, to try and get back into it. So, so unfortunately, um, both 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 sides um, um, miss out, I suppose, in the, a place in in the EY one um, league next year. As disappointing as as that is, Graham. I mean, it sounds to me, and looking at the results from the weekend as well, the the quality of club hockey. Um, being played in the country right now, it seems to be rising all the time. And that there are more and more demands on players now to meet, you know, those kind of the, the requirements. If you want to be successful at the very, very top, it now takes a huge uh, effort and dedication. And it, even though those losses, as disappointing as they are, there's still a lot of potential in those clubs. Absolutely, and and I suppose you know UCC in this, its nature, you know, would would have the the younger um, generation, I suppose, playing there, and the CI team then would be a mix of of, of probably. Probably women in in you know their the mid twenties to, to to early thirties, plus maybe even some of the 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 underage crowd that we're seeing playing on the on the monster side. Um, so it's you know it, it's a huge effort, but um, look, they they're doing it because they absolutely love it and um, trying to get to the next level uh, every single season. You know, so it's um, I suppose a, a struggle at times, maybe when when sometimes you have to travel the length and the breadth of the the, the country for matches, but. Um, yeah, definitely doing it for the for the love of the sport. Uh, that's that's a very good way of putting it for the love of the sport indeed. And they'll all be back again next season, hopefully bigger and better again. Um, you wanted to talk about a Division One relegation playoff between Limerick and Blackrock. Yeah, so so uh, this is an interesting one, I suppose. Um, Blackrock have been in in Division Two and Munster for for a couple of seasons now. They've been very competitive in in, in Division Two. Um, this season, um, uh, I suppose the, the the two sides at the bottom actually played last weekend. Um, Belvedere beat Limerick 3-1 uh, which means Limerick going to a playoff against um, Blackrock this weekend um, so so whoever wins that game will, will stay will, will either go to or stay in, in, in Division 1 um, and, and the other team will be relegated down to, to Division 2 um, that matches at 2 o'clock in Rockwell College um, on Saturday Excellent stuff and we finish with a huge huge game and it is the Division 1 League playoff which takes place this weekend between UCC and Church of Ireland yeah, so so the aforementioned clubs, I suppose, UCC and Church of Ireland meet in a, a league decider um, this weekend. So so both clubs actually finished on on thirty three points at, at the at the end of the season. Um, so there there's nothing between them. Um, so there's a league playoff uh, this weekend. I suppose this is extra significance in that you know one of these clubs will go to to EY two as well next year, and, and the other will unfortunately miss out um, just because um, Harlequins got relegated this year and will take the other spot. Um, but it's also a title decider. Um, so yeah, huge game now this weekend. Match is going to be played at half past two in in Ashton School, and we're expecting a big crowd for it. Now I know better than to ask you how this one is going to go from previous experience and previous chats, but <laughs> we are talking about two of the strongest and most talented teams in the country. Um, we're hoping here, probably Graham, for a fantastic final and a fitting way to round the season off. 
Yeah, I think so. Both both sides have met um, a couple of times this year already. Um, UCC came out on top early in the season. Uh, they won two 0 um, and and then CI, I suppose, in the in the cups have have, have uh, had the advantage, and they they won the cup um, the cup match um, earlier this year and in the Division One cup, and then um, followed that up with a with a with a three two win over UCC in the league. Um, so it's going to be a close game. It's it's going to be nip and tuck. Um, and uh, it'll be just one of those matches that you probably won't be able to take your eyes off. Brilliant stuff. We're looking forward to that and we're looking forward to talking about it on next week's Big Red Bench with you and possibly some members of both teams as well if we can. Graham Catchball, thanks once again for joining us here on the Big Red Bench to give us the latest roundup on Monster Hockey. Not at all, Ger. Pleasure. Thanks again. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Croke Park is the venue for Saturday night's Littlewoods National Camogie League final between last year's All-Ireland finalists Galway and Cork. I sat down and spoke to Cork Senior Manager Matthew Toomey ahead of an eagerly anticipated rematch. Cork Senior Camogie Manager Matthew Toomey joins us here now on the Big Red Bench to look ahead uh, to what's going to be an absolutely cracking uh, National Camogie League final between Cork and Galway a rerun of last year's All-Ireland final it's in Croke Park on the 9th of April at 7pm. Uh, Matthew you're very welcome back to the Big Red Bench. How are you? Very good thanks Joe. Um, it's been a while since we spoke, and that's because your last competitive game was the 12th of March. Uh, a fantastic game again, a draw with Kilkenny in, in Parky Cueve in very different uh, weather weather uh, conditions. What have you and the squad been up to since then? Um, I suppose initially after the game, we took a week off because we knew there was going to be a gap to the final. So since then, I think we just took the kind of the midweek off. We were back on the start and we've been full, full built at the training, just the training kind of keep doing what we're doing and trying to improve on a few things as well because we did pick up a few things on the, on the kick in the game that we want to work on. So, no, we, we've been working away and we still, you know, continue to do so. How important was it from you and your management team's point of view that you got a championship intensity level game against Kilkenny? A huge because I suppose the the, the, the first two games like, they were different for their own reasons. Like the weather was a big implication and the... The clear game and the limerick like they, like they were short, so we just needed to see a few players like you know so like they were tested to the full. Um, I suppose the most pleasing part of it, like we went ahead, we should have kicked on, which was disappointing. But the the, the better part of it was the fact that we were kind of dead and buried, and they never panicked, and and I think we analysed the game to death nearly, and um, they just they just kept the the way we wanted to play, and it came good from so they could see that side of things as well. That's look what we're trying to do will work if we try and do it to the best of our ability, which was very positive all of Indeed, and it was really a gutsy performance, as I think how I described it on the day. Like it showed the character of the team. You know the skill that they have, and you know what they're capable of in terms of their talent. But on days like that, when the weather's bad, when your backs are against the wall, it is National League, it's not Championship, but you don't want to lose, and you want to show your true character. I think that, that was best exemplified by the likes of Ashling Thompson, um, you know, and, and just the way that she played, and just kept going to the final whistle, and got the result she needed. Yeah, like there's no doubt of the talent that's there, and like uh, I, I think over the last few years they've 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 shown a lot of grit as well. Like, but like it's it's it certainly worth zoning in on that, like you know the toughness and, and you know like tackling, but also on the mind, like and, and that did come to the fore the last year, which was was very pleasing. You know, it's, it's something we are working on, and it's something we continue to work on. You know, like, this this is not going to be a stroke luck to win the league or win the championship. It's going to be down to hard work, and you know, a lot of Dirty things have to be done during the game. You know the dirty tackles. You know when the dirty ball. You know, so look, they're, they're in the good state. Like as I say, it's a work in progress. So, 
Yeah, it is. And we have to remember this is your first year in charge and it's a new management, like in charge of a new management team and a couple of new, some new players on the panel. From that point of view, Matthew, how much of a benefit is it? It's been nearly a month now before you take the field against Galway, but that month on the training pitch and the training sessions that you've had, I know you had a week off. It, 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 how important was it to have that at this time of the year for you? It's huge because, like, uh, like I was only speaking about this morning, but like, there's a couple of players that might have been out of the picture a bit a couple of weeks ago, and they have to come to the fore again. You just you see them kind of getting confidence and stuff. Um, I, I think we brought eleven onto the panel this year, so you know, like I suppose a lot of them players might have been looking around at kind of Lord Tracy's National Thompson and and probably been in them, but now they're kind of getting, you know, like there's one or two of the players now, the younger players are kind of taking on National Thompson with kind of attack injuries and something like that. They're calling them out, and, you know, can I go with you? And, that's great to see, you know, but like it's, they're, they're betting in well. Um, but, but like for the last kind of few weeks, it's been great because we, we just really, really wanted to kind of work on a few things and look, we'll, we'll see next week what, what the story is with that then. Indeed, and that National League final is a rerun of the All-Ireland final, as I said earlier on. Look, there's going to be a lot of media hype, I would imagine, coming into it naturally because it's a, it's a chance to go up against Galway again in a final for the first time since that day uh, last year in, 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 uh, in Crow Park. Aside from the fact that it's Galway and aside from the fact that it's the team that denied you an All-Ireland title last year, what are you looking for the most from this National League final? Um, look, I suppose they're the only team that beat us last year. We were beaten twice. We beaten the league semi-final and the All-Ireland final. So, look, you know, we want to get them up the upper back number one, but like, it's a national title. We haven't won in nine years. Um, you know, like, it would be great to win it. Like, I don't think it's going to define the season for either team, whoever wins and loses. But look, it's, it's still a national title. We are looking for it on the other side of us. There's two players that are probably new to this team um, and they're going to have their first opportunity playing in Crow Park, getting the vibe of all that as well. You know, And just like it's supposed to be another test from this, probably a bit of added pressure that it's in Crow Park, it's been televised. So look, you, you get to find out a few more things again. You certainly do, and it's something that everyone is looking forward to before uh, the championship kicks off and the Munster Championship and then the All-Ireland Championship. But just before we talk about that, Matthew, um, I know how happy and how delighted you were to see Jerry Wallace and his management team guide Cork to a third minor All-Ireland title in four years. Fantastic game with Galway down in Semple Stadium um, and uh, last week. And on top of that, Trevor Coleman and the Cork Intermediates reaching a Division 2 uh, league final. Th- these are good times for Cork Camogie and it's important that these teams are doing well, even from your point of view. Oh, absolutely. Um, like, there's massive credit. I have to go to Jory and, and his management team like to, to get three All-Irelands like that is unreal. I got down to the water for game and I thought they were under pressure like, but they, they ground it out. They, like, I, I think from seeing them the, the All-Ireland final as well, like, they have to win the great championship because it was not easy there. Every game was a battle and they showed some great character. Obviously, there's a couple of girls after standing out that we'll certainly be looking at now next year or the year after or something like that. But, um, huge win and, and it's great for them to keep that going. It's just, it keeps the kind of the rotating door there. Like, but like uh, on top of that, then Trevor is doing a great job and he's meet it. Um, you know, like, that was that was a great win again last weekend. Like they're up against Um So like, like it's fantastic to have them no, our competitive. It's great for the lads as well because it's, it's, it's look, it's, it's tough going being being involved into county teams like that, and look, they're they're getting the rewards for all the work they're doing. Indeed, they are, and it's it's good as you said. Like that momentum builds even into the uh, feeds into the senior side of things as well. Finally, just before uh, we finish up, 
Matthew, the draws for this year's Glen Dimplex, the new, new sponsors coming on board for the All Ireland Camogie Senior Camogie Championship. You've been drawn in Group 1 with Tipperary, Waterford, Wexford, Dublin and Clare. Um, you know what's ahead of you now. You have the Munster Championship, but you know what's ahead of you in terms of the All-Ireland Championship. You know the structure and what you need to do to get to a semi-finals. Obviously, Tip are kind of the headline act there. But Waterford, Wexford, Dublin and Clare, four other very different challenges and four, thing, four counties along with Tip that you're going to have to be wary of. Absolutely, yeah. And I think... You know, not being the hero, it's the way we want it. We want to be tested every week. We vote. We want to be challenged tactically as well as everything else. And you know, each game is going to be different. Like we, like we, we can't go out with the same, you know, ideas for each game. Every game is going to have to be different because they bring different challenges. Um, so I'm, I'm like, I know I've been very happy with the draw. It's a very tough draw. If we don't perform, we won't qualify. If we do, we will. So you know, whoever tops the group goes into the semi final. Whoever comes. You know, and after that, then it's into qualifying. But like, um, every game is very difficult. You know, we haven't got the exact fixtures yet. We're home away, but we have a good idea. We'll be away to Tipperary, Waterford, and Dublin, which is you know, it's 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 going to be tough going. But look, that, as I say, genuinely, that's what we want. We want these these lads tested. We want to give the panel a run and see what we're worth. And you're worth quite a lot, Matthew, already, even from what you've done this year. Um, listen, on the uh, Saturday evening, 9th of April, in Crow Park, Cork, Galway, in the Littlewoods National Camogie League, uh, Division 1 League final, everybody here in the Big Red Bench wishes you, uh, your management team and your players, all the best. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nina. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Two Cork secondary schools picked up Lidl All-Ireland Ladies Football PPS senior titles last weekend. The Big Red Bench was in Sean Tracy Park in Tipperary to get the reaction to Sacred Heart Clonakilty's All-Ireland Sea title win over our ladies' borough from Athlone. St Mary's Middleton defeated Moat Community School to win the PPS Senior A title. I got the reaction of the winning co-manager Tomás McAteer and captain Dara Canary. We'll also hear from Cork LGFA under-14 manager JJ DC on his side's Munster final defeat of Kerry. It has been a fantastic weekend for St Mary's High School Middleton because they have been crowned Lidl All-Ireland PPS Senior a champions following a fantastic 112 to not seven victory over Moat Community School. Um, I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line by both the winning manager and captain. First up, Tomas McAteer. Tomas, congratulations! A fantastic day for you and for your school. Thanks. Yeah, it was a great day. Everything went some way according to plan, anyway. But yeah, we're, we're all happy coming home with the bus, anyway. We're all delighted. So, great day out. You've put a lot of time and effort in this year, Tomas, as have the squad, and um, they've they've obviously uh, committed to the cause because you don't win all Ireland's like this unless you have a panel of players that are willing to, to to sacrifice time and make a lot of effort. Yeah, I suppose even not even this year, you know, they're a group that bought into it a couple of years back and they've been pushing hard to spend. And I suppose you mentioned training there. I can remember we trained during Christmas in the hall after they were out. It's just snowed over in the hall after they were there and even there in the 35 there today so yeah a great, very committed bunch and uh, we couldn't ask for more from them um, There was a special guest at today's uh, All-Ireland Final as well a three-month-old daughter uh, her name please and congratulations on that Yeah thanks very much Rihanna yeah she made an appearance alright after the game yeah. she, she was small to understand but she I'll show her when she's older yeah, another a quick way to get them into the football. Fair play, Tomas. That's good thinking long term. Um, we're also joined on the line today by the winning St Mary's Middleton captain, and that is Dara Kinnery, um, who played a, a very, very important role in a game that her school won one twelve to not seven. Dara, how are you? 
Oh, brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> Congratulations. What does it feel like to lift an All-Ireland trophy? Oh, it's amazing. Like, it's everything you'd ever dream of, really. Talk to me about this squad of players because clearly there's a lot of talent in it. Anya Hallahan, the likes of Rachel Quirk, a lot of good players, um, players that we would know. But for yourself and for the entire panel, you've put in a huge effort this year. It must be fantastic now to have a trophy at the end of it. Oh yeah, sure. Everyone's been putting in that really hard graft for years now, really, to be honest. And there's, I think there's a group of about five or six of us from six there that have been there since first day working all the way up the ranks. And so it's all due to the club, like, and all the hard work they're putting in on the ground. Very well said. Moat Community School really put it up to you. It was a very tight first half. You pulled away in the second half. I mean, you were expecting a tough match anyway, but um, Moat are a serious team. Oh, yeah, definitely. There was a few near misses there in the first half. I, I had to make a stop on the line, which is really, it's not what you want to be doing, but sure, we got over the line in the end. They were a great side, really. What will this do for the girls coming through, the younger girls coming through in your school in St. Mary's High School, Middleton, O'Dara? Because seeing you today and the big crowd that followed you win an All-Ireland A title, um, it'll be a huge boost. Oh, hopefully now anyway, we'll get to kick on from this and keep going for the years to come and everything. There's first year there, even though second year played today, Ava McAuliffe got the goal. Like, that's a brilliant sign for the future anyway. Indeed it is. Um, if I could turn back again to your manager, uh, Tomás McAteer, um, Tomas, like as you said, the groundwork for this year's All Ireland final success uh, at the senior A level, the highest grade of PPS level, was was made um, over the last few years. The future of uh, ladies football in the school looks secured now, and you'd be looking to kick on from this. Yeah, of course. You know, like doing up the numbers there, and actually long ago, a couple of weeks back, to see how many of them were there. It was fifty-eight the first years. I think were registered this year now, so hopefully, that you know a great opportunity for them and it's great out is outside of school so that they have something to look forward to you know that's to be stuck sitting in the chair all the time inside the school so you know the more people we get out saying the better and it doesn't matter if they're successful or not you know it's something for them to have in their life they look forward to I, I, I'd be happy enough with that too You obviously got great support from the school Tomas but also from your supporters Massive support there today I, I, I think they had two full buses going from school today especially on a Saturday you know the kids have other commitments too with different sports and whatnot. So to see two full buses going today, and I think it 99.9% of the staff room was up there as well today. So, and all the parents in the hall, and even from the local clubs too, they organised the carpooling in the hall out of today. And the local clubs too deserve a lot of credit for what's been going on in East Cork. And um, it, it all goes well, I suppose. And certainly does. We leave the final word uh, to your captain, uh, Derek Henry, again, before we, before we wrap up. And on, on such a fantastic day, um, obviously the, the match is just finished. You're on your way back home. Uh, Dara, will the celebrations go on long into the evening and uh, into next week, maybe? Oh, well, sure. We'll, we'll have a good crack at it anyway. We'll see how we go. But we'll be plenty of singing anyway on the bus on the way home. Good stuff. And you'd be looking, obviously, for some homework passes, I would imagine, next week as well. Well, hopefully now we'll move the oils coming up, so we'll have to put in a bit of work. Well, you deserve this weekend at least to, to, to enjoy the success, Dara, from everybody on the big yeah. red bench. We're absolutely delighted for everybody at St. Mary's High School, Middleton, on winning the Lidl All-Ireland PPS Senior A Championship. Uh, congratulations to you, your players, and to Tomás McAteer, your coach. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Jay. Now I'm here with the victorious All-Ireland Senior C 
winning management team from Sacred Heart Clonakilty following a pulsating All-Ireland final in Tipperary Town when Sacred Heart Clonakilty outlasted our ladies' borough from Westmead. Brian Daly and Kieran McKay, hearty congratulations. Kieran, um, how's the heart after all that? Ticker is fairly dodgy at the moment. Was, um, look, it was helter-skelter for the whole 60 minutes and um, the, the few minutes of extra time as well. Um, I suppose they got a couple of goals early on I think we were seven points we were drawn at half time against a strong wind as was we thought that we would have um, gone on and got a few goals they were a super team and it's fantastic to see two evenly matched teams in a final and not to have a runaway final and there's great credit due to that school to our ladies of Bower as well um, they were super and they had a lot of homework done on us and they, they knew our strengths most definitely so we're delighted to get over the line and you can probably hear in the background the girls cheering so that'll go on for a few days no, Undoubtedly, yeah. And deservedly so. Brian Daly, um, this team never knows when it's beaten all the way through this championship. They've played a full 60 and 66 minutes today. You must be very, very proud. Yeah, unbelievably. Um, look, they're a brilliant bunch of girls, personally, um, and in school. They're just, there's a never-say-die attitude. Whatever they take on, they do, do it with 100%. Um, I, I suppose I can't say I always knew that they'd win today, but I always knew that they'd give absolutely everything uh, that they had. Um, and if that was good enough, which it was today, um, it was great. What does this mean for the school? Um, I suppose it's brilliant. It, you can see the, the bus loads that have come up here today now. Um, it'll probably bring on a few more superstars like Millie Condon, get them interested in um, ladies football. But um, it's just great for the girls. Um, it's their day. Um, they've worked really, really hard all year. Um, they were a pleasure to coach um, and I'm so proud of them. Leave the last word to you, Mr. Mulcahy. Uh, a lot of celebrations, as you said, to come, but this could be the start of something really good for Sacred Heart. Absolutely. There. As Brian was saying, I suppose, look, you know, you always have a role model somewhere, so be it Melissa Duggan, maybe, or Martina or Brian. I suppose the, the, the core players at the moment and our girls look up to them. And I suppose it's the first and second years in our school now that are going to look up to this bunch of players. And hopefully they'll, they'll try and kind of, I suppose, emulate some of the, the things that this crowd have done. So onwards and upwards, and we'll, we'll give it as best we can over the next few years as well. Now I'm joined by the Sacred Heart captain of the All-Ireland Senior Sea Championship winning team, Lydia Sutton. Lydia, how does that sound? Oh, it's amazing. I'm speechless, to be honest. You know, I can't even get the words together. It's brilliant. Brilliant. Um, what a fantastic performance by the team today. You were really pushed by the opposition. They were, they were as good as you throughout the whole thing. But a fantastic... When you were down to 14 players, you dug in and you got the win. Ah, Jesus, yeah. When Orla went off there, you know, we were a bit scared. You know, it's you know it's tough. You have to, you know, keep going. There's no other way about it. And we always knew a final would be, you know, a hard-fought game. But look, thankfully we came out on top so and won it out Days like this are very special because a lot of young girls are watching in action as well and it's important for the school now that this is something that they can build on Yeah, you know for the school you know, Camogie would be more dominant towards, you know up throughout the years so it's great to, you know get football again on the on the, on the back of it so it's brilliant yeah for the young people go off because you know we'll all be moving on now so it's great for school a word for your two managers Mr Mackay and Mr Daly how good are they actually they're brilliant yeah they're always behind us and uh, you know supporting us throughout you know they never give out so constructive constructive criticism you know I don't know about not giving out but anyway listen congratulations a fantastic uh, result for Sacred Heart uh, and well done we're delighted yeah, for you brilliant thanks a million thank you I'm here with three <laughs> members of the All-Ireland Senior PPS winning championship team from Sacred Heart Clannock Hilty they're very excited they're very happy and we're being attacked by some of the fans as well as we do this but we'll keep going uh, we start with you Alan O'Brien fantastic result how hard was that? Oh yeah it was a very hard win very hard fought win but we're glad to get over the line in the end 
this was a serious Our Ladies Bower team and you had to do your best. Yeah, they put through all the work through the whole game, but luckily we got a couple of scores on the board and got over the line, thank God. Very modest. Uh, Shea for Pat, well, you landed a very important free just before the end there. How tough were it was that defence that you were up against today? Oh, it was very tough. My God, like they just all got behind the ball and it was so hard to break them down. But we got there, we kept our cool and we just... <laughs> In terms of an All-Ireland, what's it going to do for the school? Oh, it'll bring, it'll bring football up way up in the school. OK, well done. Katie O'Driscoll, you had some big days with Sacred Heart and with Cork as well. How special is this? It's great to be winning with like your teammates that you've been with all your life. It's, it's a great thing. Like. How tough were they with the opposition out there today? It was a lot of running, all right, because we're used to playing on the Astro the past few matches, but sure, we drove it on in the end. Yeah, and big support as well from your school and from home. A lot of people up here today to, keep, uh, to shout you on. Yeah, it took a, lot of, took a lot of asking to get everybody up here, all right, but sure, we got there in the end and they let us bring them all. Um, what will this mean for football in the school now going forward? Oh, as Shepherd said, yeah, we'll definitely bring it up. Like, we're very much a camogie school. We'll be up in A next year, hopefully, and we'll drive it on. Congratulations to you all. Well done. Now we're joined on the line by the Cork LGFA under-14 manager, who uh, JJDC, whose team uh, claimed this year's Munster LGFA under-14 championship following a narrow two-point victory over Kerry in Mallow. JJ, first of all, hearty congratulations. Um, uh, winning a provincial title is never an easy thing to do and Kerry put up a serious battle today. Yes, uh, great result for us at the end of the day, but uh, a serious battle we had, we had today, yeah. Um, coming into the game, I mean, obviously you played Tipperary, um, uh, you'd played Kerry just prior to it, but it was probably two very different teams. But like uh, to win 3-8 to 3-6 uh, and to get that late goal and, and the late goals that you did get just shows that this team is capable of playing for the full 60 minutes, which is vital uh, for later in the year. Yeah, today was a huge test, but they, you know we, we struggled at times during the game. We, we, um, we, went two, we were two points down at halftime, we were four points down way through the second half but we came back and we came good in the last quarter and uh, and uh, ground out a result in the end so look we're very very pleased with the with the result and very pleased with the the way the girls responded to you know a tough match against a, a very good team in warm conditions and, and you know we when we can't we couldn't we couldn't be happy or not it's a great great result. Yeah, because before you hit into the next series, the All Ireland Provincial and the Blitzes and what comes now, um, sorry, following your provincial success, th- these are the types of games, as you know, as a manager, that will bring the team on hugely. Yeah, we've had we've played Kerry twice now in the last couple of weeks, and we've been we've been lucky to come out on top on both occasions. Um, you know, but two great games, two very tough games, and and you know, all the players that we've that have, you know, that been on the pitch in the last couple of games you know they've all acquitted themselves well and you know we're, we're, we're pleased with the way things are progressing we know we have, we know we have a few things to work on as well but uh, you know at the end of the day it's uh, it's about getting a result when you get to a final and um, you know they, they fought hard for their for their um, title today Um You've a lot of players in your panel. You've two different sets, two different panels on the Cork team this year, and there's an awful lot of talent in the county. Um, the first taste of inter-county football at the age of 14 is never easy for them. But can you see growth? Can you see progression with all of the players over the last couple of weeks and months? Absolutely, you know, and, and players progressing in, in 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 different ways, and and you know, making commitments to the team and our contributions to the team in different ways. And um, players that we have 
you know, picked at the trial stage in defence that are probably ought to be very good forwards and vice versa. You know, so they're like they're they're they're, they're going as a squad. They're 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 gelling as a squad, and and that show today, you know, when it came down to, you know, it came down to a fight at the end of the day, at the last quarter, and you know, they rolled up their sleeves, they got stuck in, and they and they ground out a result, and and you know, some great teamwork, some great support play, and that got us over the line today. You know, they never gave up. They, you know, they kept going, kept going, even when it looked we looked to be in trouble on a couple of occasions today, but they they kept plugging away, and and and, and you know, it's for for such young players, that's great to see. Indeed it is, and they must be overjoyed as well because this not only is their first year playing for Cork, JJ, but it's also their first trophy at inter-county level, the first of many, hopefully. And like that feeling when you're that age, it's a, it's an absolutely lovely moment in, in your young career. Oh, absolutely. They're buzzing after it. You know, it's, um, it's, a, it's a huge, huge achievement. You know, it's something that they'll, they'll um, look back in, the, in, in time when they get older and realise, you know, what, what, a, what, a, what a, a, a joy it is to, to win a a championship like that, and at at that level as well, you know, it's it's not not every kid gets the opportunity to be part of, a, of an inter county panel, and, and you know they they have to enjoy it too, and you know stays like that, you know it makes makes it for them. And just finally, JJ, now that the Munster Trophy is fa- uh, is safely back in Cork, what is next for you and your panel? Well, we have uh, an All Ireland grading bits in in two weeks' time, and um. That will be followed fairly quickly by an All Ireland quarter final. So, back to the drawing board for us now. Today, you know, we 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 have a few things to work on with the girls. You know, the girls. You know, anything we've asked them to do, any way we've asked them to play, they've adapted to it. Um, you know, so there's some there's some other learning points from today's game that we have to work on. You know, it's it's our responsibility as coaches to get that across to the girls so that they're able to adapt to the different styles of play that they're faced with and the you know, the different type of play. And um, you know, hopefully progress and, and get a little bit stronger because, you know, we've seen in the last two games that uh, a lot of, lot of, you know, there's gotta be some stern tests out there. And uh, they have to improve, they have to have to get better and um, you know, we'll we'll, we'll um, bring that to them then over the next couple of weeks and, and, and hopefully, you know, prepare be well prepared for the all our quarter final when it comes up in, in, in weeks from the time. Good stuff. Well, listen, on behalf of everybody in the Big Red Bench, congratulations to you, your management team and the entire panel on winning the Munster LGFA Under-14 title, JJ, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks very much, Jeff. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune in to the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan and Valerie Wheeler between 6 and 7pm on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels as well as visiting our official website, redfm.com. The Big Red Bench, Saturday and Sunday from 6pm, Cork's Red FM.